I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Who doesn't want to be in debt anymore? Who wants to live with the freedom of knowing that you go to work because you want to? Well, today's podcast guest is Karen Ford, and she is going to help you get on your way to financial freedom and true wealth success. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello. Michaela. How are you? Good, Karen. How are you? Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> well, I I'll, oh. I got to tell you what, this what you what you do and what you have going on i mean i'm just so excited to have you on and talk all things financial freedom and i I just can't wait to hear your perspective on on these sorts of topics that i've jotted down for us to talk about today oh thank you so much i really appreciate it and to you about (laughs) i'm excited so can you can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and how you got into uh, how you got into it well absolutely i'm more than happy to uh several years ago i became a registered nurse and long story short i have had people um tell me my entire life that i'm good with money i'm good with numbers i never really saw it to be honest with you because i took it as something natural Um, you know, so anyway, long story short, several years ago, um, I had a friend of mine tell me, Karen, you should actually get some more, um, you know, training in the area of financial coaching because you're really good at it. And so I did, and I actually fell in love with it uh, to the degree that I am no longer a nurse. And, wow, that's if, yeah, that's, so that's, it's huge for me because I love helping people, but I look at it like this, uh, Michaela, I look at it like this. As people get healthy physically, and now as a master financial coach, I help people get healthy financially. So I'm still helping people, fulfilling uh, my calling, whatever you want to call it, Uh, but I have such a passion for the area of finance is under control, and so many people are out of control when it comes to money, when it comes to making purchases, getting out of debt, building wealth, and so many times people don't know where to begin. And that's where I really come in and help them take control. Well, I'll tell you what, as a, as a psychotherapist, the, the number one topic for couples that come into my office is finances. It, it, it I do not doubt it a bit. <laughs> they, they actually, they actually state it over communication and, you know, any other kind of thing. People think that, you know, couples are always coming in cause there's an affair or something, but the reality is it's, it's more got to do about money. It's usually got to do about money. That is correct. And you know, the number one cause of divorce in the USA today is not lack of communication, although that can play a part. It's not anything else. The number one cause of divorce today in the USA is money fights. I, I believe it. And, That's what I see. Uh, yep. Oh, man. I tell you what, if people learn to 
you know, opposites attract, just to be quite honest with you. You already know that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. But if they'll learn, you know what, if I'm a spender, then that means my mate is probably a saver. Or if I'm a saver, majority of the time they're going to be a spender. Very rarely do I find where both of them are savers. Uh, now, I have found couples where they're both spenders, and that can really be another issue to deal with. But uh, by and far, if people will learn how to communicate with their mate in the area of finances and and, you know, have somebody like you come in the picture and help them uh, see eye to eye in that area and how, you know, it's not something that we have to fight about. It's what we learn. How are we going to work with each other in the rearing of area of our jobs, in the area of finances? And if we can learn to communicate and work with each other in the area of money, it will actually be so beneficial, not only to, to us, but our mate. I mean, you think about it, it's got to be really frustrating to be in a marriage where one is a saver, one is a spender, it's just not enjoyable at all. You know, I, it's interesting that you say that because I was reflecting on my own marriage. And the funny thing is my husband and I are actually both savers. That being said, that is awesome. <laughs> that being said, we are very different financially in that I am the kind of person that balances my checkbook to the penny. I handle the finances um, at our at our business, and he's kind of like the throw another hundred bucks in there and call it good kind of guy. So, right. um, <laughs> but it works because um, we have the same a belief on the ways that our money should be saved or spent. And then one of us is able to kind of deal with the nitty gritty of paying the bills and do all that. And I love that. I love that control part of it. And then he's able to kind of just like, Oh good. You know, this amount goes into my account and I can not have to think about it and don't have to worry about the rest of it. So it, it actually works out well for us, but, but I do really feel like we're an anomaly. Oh, you absolutely are. You are absolutely that is absolutely correct. You know, and you just said something really powerful there. You know, both of you still work differently as your saving goes. You take it clear down to the penny. He's just like, ah, throw another hundred bucks to it. We're good. You know, so we need to learn that as well. And we can discover things about our probably don't argue with your husband. That's terrible. It needs to go to the penny. And he probably doesn't argue with you and say, well, that's just terrible that we just have to deal with each other, how we, opt, you know, in marriages, each each person has a different personality. Each person many times has been raised from child to adulthood. We have different thoughts. We have different concepts about areas and so different, really. Uh, but if we can learn to, to communicate with our mate and, and really embrace the difference, to be honest with you, we fell in love with them. We were willing to marry them. So we need to embrace their, our differences. And so that's what's attracted us. Not that they're just, to be honest with you, we'd, I, I think I would end up, you know, not, not doing so well if my mate was exactly like me. Absolutely. <laughs> I, heard someone say, I heard someone say one time, if your mate is exactly like you, then someone in that marriage doesn't need to be there because <laughs> someone doesn't need to be there because it's opposites attract. 
and think about the differences. That's what you embrace and it's okay. We just have to learn how are we going to communicate? How are we going to deal with each other in this area of money? A saver braces because here's how I look at it. A, a spender needs a saver in their life so that they don't have to eat dog food in their golden year. Right. A spender needs uh, their life so they actually have a life. Because if you save every nickel, every dime, and you never get to spend vacation, you're not living the best life possibly that you can live. You need to be able to end your labor. Well, I just love what you, <laughs> I just loved what you said about, um, about having that freedom to, when you're with a spender to enjoy life and, and having the comfort of when you're with a saver to, you know, have your retirement years be comfortable. And I think my husband and I, we were both raised similar, similarly, very, very, very broke. I actually wrote a, a memoir about it, my, my upbringing and, um, which was in a 27 foot fifth wheel with no electricity and no running water. And his, oh, wow. and his wasn't too far off of that. So I feel like what's interesting is that we both um, align in that way of, you know, not, not wanting to take on debt, not it, understanding the importance of credit, but not wanting to take on debt, uh, wanting to enjoy and live life for the now, but also saving for the future. So it's a really good balance. Like we, we definitely have our beef in a lot of other areas, but this seems to be the one thing that we've nailed. <laughs> that is awesome. I am fantastic. So, uh, so America is just notorious for debt. How do you feel about the debt in America and how Americans have, have gotten to the situations that they're in with regards to maybe spending outside of their means or loans or credit cards? What do you think about that? To be honest with you, um, you know, debt, you know, I've heard people, a little bit of truth in that, but in my opinion, no debt is good. You owe. And so it's kind of like uh, the old adage, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. How about going to work because you enjoy your job and you're able to save and invest? I think that over the past 50 to 60 years, um, you know, debt has really gotten out of grandparents, many of them, or our great grandparents, depending on how old we are. Uh, Debt was not a common theme among them. They didn't buy it if they didn't have. It. And so over the years, we have been duped and convinced that debt is normal and that you have to have debt to buy things. A true state. Some, some people will say, well, you know, if I buy, you know, online or rent a car or buy anything on Amazon or websites or and that's not necessarily true because many of those web websites, Amazon, renting a car, you can do that with a debit card, which means you have the money in the bank. Uh, what happens, though, is people are convinced that they have to have credit cards. They have to have debt uh, to, to make it in life. And that is just not true. Certainly, you may do without some things for a period or you may have to delay that if you choose not to go into debt to buy it. But isn't it much better to pay for something, know that you own it, 
and now you're not going to get a bill in the mail. You know, I can use my husband and I as, as an example. We've taken some phenomenal trips uh, over the past several years. We've been to Jamaica a few times. We've been to the Dominican Republic. And one great thing about those vacations is that it's paid for before we ever, we don't, you know, the food's Let's try to get all inclusive. The hotels paid for the flights that we need to take is spending money. Many people that have taken vacations to Disney World or where have you, they charge everything. They charge the hotel, they charge the airfare, they charge the food. And to me, that is not an enjoyable vacation because now it takes them the entire year for the vacation they just took to help them relax. To me, that is not a relaxing vacation to come credit card to pay for a vacation that was meant to help you relax. So, you know, and sometimes I've heard people say, well, you'll always have a car payment. Not so. If you choose to have an all, always have a car payment, that, that's your decision. But actually, you don't have to always have a car payment. You can pay off your car. And instead of trading that car, start putting that monthly payment that you no longer have for that car, whether it's $300, $500, whatever it was, and put it in a marked car and pretend like you still have that car payment and pay yourself every month as if you still have it. And then once you get a good um, war chest there, trade off your car, trade it in and pay cash for the next car but I always advise people, you don't have to buy a brand new car. A brand new car will lose 60% of its value within the first three years. Buy a one-year-old car or a two-year-old car and let somebody else take that depreciation. Yes, you're still going to have a great warranty and yet miles on it, but you're not going to take that depreciation that car you know, as if it were brand new. So I hope I didn't overextend myself on your answer to that question. But no, know, not at all. And I okay. don't have a car payment and hate car payments. And uh, we do awesome. a similar thing. But at this point, um, you know, car payments and et cetera payments are now tripling our, our mortgage payment because we've put it towards that. So it's um, yeah, so I embrace that idea as well, um, that, you know, you don't have to go into debt. I also bought a used car, a used new car that had still had a 60,000 mile warranty when I got it and it only had 11,000 miles on it, but Fantastic. you know, it, <laughs> yeah, so I'm a big fan of, I think debt gets people into trouble because, um, you're always living in arrears, <laughs> you know, you're, you're you're never able to, um, to start saving and, and enjoy because you're always catching up. You're always playing catch up. That's so very true. You know, something else, uh, when it comes to debt, you know, so many times people are fighting or, or, or having, uh, an area of stress in their life because of debt. The way to get rid of stress is to get rid of debt. Your stress level will drastically diminish when you don't have debt. You're going to work not because you, because you want to. I mean, who wants to get up of a morning and go to work because they have to, because they have bills to pay. They have student loans to pay, various things. When you don't have debt, 
you still have your utility bills, of course, and you still have to buy food and put gas in your car. But when you don't have debt hanging over your head, life is so much more enjoyable, <laughs> so much more enjoyable. And there's peace of mind with it. I was going to say it's, it's comfort. It's really comfortable knowing that um, if something were to happen in the way of an illness or an injury or something like that, you know, that you can still function, you can still survive, you can take time off to do what you need to do or something like that. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking about debt is I see a lot of couples where, where we live that um, buy these fixer uppers, you know, they have this great idea that they can get something on the cheap and, and, and make something of it. Now I know that you have actually purchased a home and correct me if I'm wrong for $10. Oh yeah. And flipped it. Oh yes. But I oh, think, yes. but I don't think that's often what I think often people buy these cheap, cheap fixer uppers and just get themselves into a, a really stressful, debtful situation. What do you think about that? I think that if you have money in the bank to buy without going into debt, then I say, okay. But just note, go into debt to fix it up. Now, now you're really, what would happen if you or your mate lost, lost your job? How stressful is that going to be? That house, once it's done, is on the market for six months before it sells. So you have to weigh these types of options. I am an avid real estate investor. I enjoy it. I love it. But I also know the, the risk. So dirt cheap and then knowing, okay, this is what I'm going to do to this house to sell it, to flip it. Or when I go in the house, I notice things and I decide, am I going to flip this? Or am I going to sell it to make a little bit of a profit and let somebody else flip it? So you have to weigh those pros and cons. If you're buying a house cheap and you think that you can make, you know, 10000 just selling it outright out of it or cleaning it up a little bit to sell it outright and let somebody else flip it, then okay, you've made a profit. But if you're going to flip it, then you have to note everything that has to be done and know what your cost is going to be before you decide you're going to do that. So you have to weigh all of that. And, and again, I always remember, you might not get fired from your job, but what if you got laid off? What if, you know, God forbid you got sick and had to miss work and, you know, whatever the case may be, you have to look at that and think to do this. What if you have to look at the what ifs? I, I'm thinking about um, somebody that I know that recently said to me, um, their company offers a 401k and the company matches, I don't know, 5% up to a certain amount a year or something like that. And they were just talking about their finances and da, da, da. And I says, you know, why aren't you investing in the 401k? Like, why aren't you putting, you know, a hundred bucks, 25 bucks, something into the 401 I started investing in 401k when I was working for a company at 18 years old. And the, I didn't even think about it. It just came out of my paycheck. And then when I um, left um, over a period of time, I had to transfer 401ks company to company, whatever. But then when I finally pulled it out and saw what it was sitting in an IRA, I mean, it was like, wow, without even realizing it, I'd done such an incredible forced savings. 
And the person that I was speaking with says, you know, I live paycheck to paycheck. I could barely pay my bills. I don't have money to put in my 401k. And I just thought, but it's free money. They match for free. That's free money. You know, what what do you think about people who say that I live paycheck to paycheck? I can't save or people that don't invest in 401k. What do you think about company 401ks? Do you think they're worth it? What are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. 401ks, especially uh, if the company is going to match, because just like you said, that's free money. If they say, listen, if you put 3% in, you know, we'll match you 3% or whatever it is, whatever it is they're going to match you with is free money. And most of the time you are not going to miss that money coming out of your paycheck before you get paid. Usually it's such a small amount to begin with. You're not going to miss it. And, you know, if you have to start with 2% and then in another month, go up 3% and then go up another month and go up to 4%. If you need to do it in 1% or 2% increments, do that because whatever they're going to match you with is free money. So I absolutely positively agree. Start, don't, you know, don't pass go, start now. Even if you start with 1% until you are comfortable with popping it up a little bit more, but definitely invest to what their match is going to be. Now, as far as living paycheck to paycheck, I would have to sit down with that person and see exactly what they're spending. Because I have coached many, many people that tell me that they're living paycheck to paycheck. And when I start digging into their, not digging, that's not the best term. I start asking questions and I take notice and I find out what's your house payment? What is your car payment? How much, you know, and I start digging uh, for the information. And many times I will notice areas where they, adjustment and they will no longer live paycheck to paycheck. Let me give you an example. I coached a couple one time, lovely husband and wife, and they had a three-year-old daughter. And so I asked the series of questions. We found out what their credit card payment, all of that. And then we got down to groceries and I said, how much do you spend on food every month? And they both had a deer and a headlight moment and said, we don't know. I said, okay, that's no problem. Let me just start asking you some questions so we can, so we can find out. I said, um, do you all restaurant? Yes. How often do you go? Once a week. I said, okay, how much does that cost you once a week to go to the restaurant? So I jot that down. Do you all brown bag your lunch to work or do you eat in the cafeteria at work? Oh, we eat in the cafeteria at work. How often do you eat in the cafeteria at work? every day. How many days a week do you work? Five. Okay. How much does it cost you to eat in that cafeteria each day? So we jot that down. And then I said, how often do you go to the grocery store? Every two or three days to get what they need. Okay. How much do you spend every two or three days when you go to the grocery store? And they told me, long story short, each month they were spending on food $1,500 a month for a family of three. And one of them is only three. Wow. So they both had a deer in the headlight moment. Again, they were shocked. And I said, do you want to make an adjustment? 
because I thought I can't make you make an adjustment. I know what you should do, but unless you decide if it's their decision, that means they're going to do it. So I said, do you want to make an adjustment? And they both wholeheartedly said, yes. I said, okay, you tell me what you're willing to do. So they decided instead of going out to eat in the restaurant once a week, they would go once a month. Instead of eating uh, in the cafeteria every day at work, they decided they would eat in the cafeteria every Friday. And instead of going to the grocery store every two or three days, they would do meal planning and they would go to the grocery store once a week. They cut their grocery bill and restaurant bill, their food bill for the month from $1,500 a month down to $600 a month. Wow. Now, that was an additional $900 a month they could put towards debt or put towards wealth building. But that was such a win situation. I coached a young man one time and he didn't have, I have a lot of debts, but he wasn't really sure where all his money was going. And I just said, do you like coffee? And he said, yes. And I said, do you ever get a specialty coffee or anything? And he said, yes. And I said, uh, you know, you drive through the specialty coffee place. And he said, yes, I didn't do that. He said every day on my way to work. And I said, okay, how much does that cost you every day? And he told me, long story short, he was spending $350 every month on his specialty coffee on his <laughs> way to work. So he decided he was going to change that. <laughs> but see, he right. didn't know that because it many times it's not the big, you know, it's not the house payment that on your means. But typically, it's not the big things that get us. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine here. It's the 10 bucks there. It's the $2 here. Many times we have to take notice, where is this money going? And sometimes it's those little things that really add up. When I, when, when I was pregnant, um, I was working full-time uh, as a marketing director, actually, at the time. And I was going to school for my master's in psychology. And um, my husband and I made a decision that I would stay home once my son was born. And so, you know, I think a month or so before, or it might've been a couple months before I, I left and focused on my schooling and finished that up. And um, it was going to be a big financial adjustment for us. Um, but it was at the time that eCart was coming out and our home had been purchased at the height of the market. And so I went down to the bank and talked to them about a refinance and, um, we were, you know, eligible for that. So I refinanced the house. We saved 3% on the interest, 3%. That was the difference. And then wow. I started doing the Rayleigh's e-cart, um, which was our grocery store e-cart where, um, I could see what I was putting into my proverbial cart and, and stay within our spending and say, oh, you know what, we have extra this month, so I'll do this or I'll, you know, take that out or put this in or clip the coupons. They let you clip the coupons online. Just that minor change was hundreds of dollars a month that oh, I believe it have to put out. And that was, you know, one of the way it was important to both of us that I have that time at hi with him. Um, that, you know, he was raised by us and not being spent on daycare. But, um, 
but it was a big adjustment having two, you know, incomes, two large incomes down to one. Um, but I was amazed at how well we were able to kind of pinch and pull and do little things here and there. Like you said, not, not doing the coffees every day and things like that to, to make up that difference and make it feasible and manageable. That's right. You know, just can really add up. So one of the things, um, so, so for people who are right now underwater with debt that are quote, living paycheck to paycheck, your recommendation is to start looking at these little things, these little ways that they can kind of trim and tweak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You'll be amazed if, if you don't take notice how much coffee you drink or, you know, the little stop at convenience stores cost convenience costs because convenience stores are there to be convenient to you. <laughs> but there's a horrific markup on those items in those convenience stores. So uh, absolutely look at the little things that you're spending money on. Absolutely. What do you think about Dave Ramsey's style of like putting your paycheck in a, in an envelope that, you know, is for, for, for food and an envelope for this and an envelope for that and, and only spending with cash. What do you think about that? I think that there's a place for that. Uh, otherwise you're going to, I mean, for everything, your your wallet or your purse is going to be loaded down with envelopes, certainly for food. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why on that. I don't know about you, but I, when I had gone to the grocery store with a debit card in hand and I start down the aisle, I'll make a mental note of how much I'm spending. But by the time I get to the third row, that's kind of thrown out the window. I'm no longer keeping track of it. And so then I don't discover how much I've spent until they've rang all of mental tab the entire time. And I'll just come within a few dollars of them ringing it up. So taking note of how much you're spending on is a great idea. I don't know that it's actually necessary for every category, entertainment, utilities, or anything like that. But certainly I think it's a great idea excuse me, great concept for when you're spending money on food and going to the grocery store. Absolutely. My sister-in-law told me just, just this past week that she went through their subscriptions, you know, like subscription boxes and Netflix and different things like that. And, and she saved $3,600 a year in subscriptions over the, over, you know, time that she'd signed up for that were renewing that she didn't even wow. know. Wow. Oh my. I know. And See, then so I she said, didn't know it's, oh my gosh, that's unreal. Uh, we were on a group thread and I'm like, well, I only have Amazon and I get BarkBox and which saves me a lot on toys for the dogs and whatever. I know how much I'm spending every month on that and this and this. And then she goes, well, what about this? And what about that? And I'm like, oh yeah, I do have Apple music. And I do, have <laughs> I realized like, uh... oh my gosh, I have a ton of subscriptions that I didn't even think about. Like, you know, the obvious ones, but my vitamins come monthly, which those aren't going away. I, you know, I eat, I consume them, but there were a lot of ones that I didn't even think about. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I always laugh and I, and, and this might be the hippie in me, but I, I'm not a Costco person. I don't, I do not shop at Costco um, at all. And I always laugh at when people tell me how much they're quote saving by buying these things in bulk. And I think, but how much are you wasting by buying these things in bulk? I mean, how much mayonnaise do you really need 
for a family of four, you know, or that's right. I mean, how do you feel about Costco in the big box stores? That if you have a large family, you have to weigh that, to be honest, go to a Costco or Sam's because it's just the two of us. And so, I mean, the children are grown. So, you know, it wouldn't pay for us to buy, you know, a five gallon uh, mustard bottle. Right. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Know? So, I mean, how, how quickly are we going to eat that? You know? Uh, so you have to look at that too. If you have a large family, um, certainly, you know, going to Costco or Sam's club or something like that can really be beneficial depending on how much, you know, you're spending at a regular grocery store. But if it's, if it's just a couple of you, it might not be a, a weekly thing that you, that you go to Costco or Sam's. Maybe you might do that before in your home or where you're going to have lots of family or a family reunion or a picnic, what have you. But to me, it's unnecessary or you don't have a lot of social, you know, uh, social, uh, what is the word I'm looking for here? Events that, you, that are coming up, which would require you to buy in bulk. One of the things I was thinking about as you were talking, I was kind of reflecting on our own style. My my husband and I are foodies. We we like to we like to cook. We cook every night because we live rural, so there's not really much in the way of of that anyway. But we do enjoy going out to eat. We do enjoy um, cooking gourmet. We enjoy that sort of thing. And and one of the things that I've realized is that we we are fortunate enough because of the way that we've managed our finances to have a lot of financial freedom almost to the right. point where I think like, man, maybe we should be more mindful of, of what we spend on eating after <laughs> you talk about it. <laughs> but it is something that brings us a lot of happiness. What do you think is the easiest way for people to build wealth? The easiest way to, well, there's a variety of ways to build wealth. Uh, and I enjoy all of them. Uh, but one way we've already touched base on is starting even with small amounts of money being taken out of your paycheck for a 401k or Roth IRA, especially if your company offers a match, because little things will add up. So that's one method. A second method is uh, you, can, you can check into real estate investing. That doesn't mean that you're going to go buy a half a million dollar home and think you're going to flip it in an area where the houses sell for 300000 You know, buying real estate, you can start small, but certainly do your due diligence. Location, location, location plays a huge part. Um, and having some knowledge, don't just step out and, and try to wing it. Real estate is not something that you want to wing. You still need to do your due diligence, listen to podcasts like this, be an avid reader, study up a little bit, check the real estate market in your area and, and step out and find out. Another area is uh, the stock market. Now, here again, we don't just want to, you know, wing it and guess or anything like that. 
but you can start with small. You don't have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, there are many uh, brokerage firms that will let you start small. The company, you know, I've had many people say, well, what about penny stocks? And I say, listen, unless you know without a shadow of a doubt uh, that this penny stock is really going to be a winner, there are thousands of penny stocks out there. And so it's just really a guessing game. It's kind of like spinning the roulette wheel or buying lottery tickets, to be honest with you. It's a guessing game. So do your due diligence and check the history of the company. You know, if they're a company that has been in business for 30 years and their stock keeps going up, it's not, and, and check to see what their profit ratio is. You know, start small. Start with safe companies. Uh, again, do your due diligence. Um, don't go into buying a bunch of penny stocks, which, you know, you know nothing about. We still have a responsibility of learning and being aware of these companies before we invest our money in them. Uh, but I enjoy all of those. But of course, I do some, I do my research. And you can Google, you can go online, you can talk to people. Um, I'm always talking to people that know more than me because I only know what I know, but I want to know what they know. So, <laughs> and that's how we learn is by not thinking that we're all that in a bag of chips, so to speak. We need to check with other people and learn from them as well. So all of those areas are great ways to learn uh, what, about investing and checking it out. One of the things that I found to be a great tool when I was younger, um, and, and like I said, I, I, I feel fortunate that my upbringing, um, you know, created a monster in the way of saving and things like that. But one of the things that I found worked really well for me when I was working was that I would have, and, and I was a younger person, I would have um, the portion that I knew that I needed to live off went into my checking account. But then I had, and this was when direct, you know, direct deposit existed. And so you could have two different accounts that you sent your money to. And then I would send a different portion of my paycheck that wasn't critical to live on. I knew I didn't need it. Um, even, even if it was a small amount to another savings account that I did not have debit card access to. And, and so it was kind of one of those things where, Hey, if I have something come up in a month where my car breaks down and I need to go tap into that, I can, or if I need to buy groceries or I, I want to get a gift for something that I didn't, you know, calculate into, I can go get that money if I need to, but I've got to physically go into the bank to do so. Um, and, and that seemed to really help me. What do you think about savings accounts? I mean, they don't generate that much interest, but if they're used maybe in that way where it's, you know, it's still mentally accessible. Cause I know some people have a hard time with the 401ks and the stocks cause they can't get to it if they need to. What do you think about that? I think definitely you need to have a savings account because if an emergency were to arise, let's say your, your furnace goes out, you have to replace your furnace or repair your furnace to have access to that cash. So absolutely, yes, savings accounts, are they're, they're just not going to make you a, a lot of money. That's just the way it is right now. Uh, but you still need to have a savings account because emergencies arise. I, you know, I can remember the old adage, 
Grandma said, save for a rainy day. Why'd she say that? Because she knew someday it's going to rain. And chances are unexpected events really are expected. You know, if you drive a car, at some point, you're going to have to replace those tires. You're going to have to replace that battery. You know, there are things that are owner. You know, there are going to pop up your hot water tank. 14 years old, eh, you're going to have to replace that hot water tank just right around the corner. Uh, you know, if you have a furnace that's 20, 22 years old, eh, you're going to have to replace that furnace. So things are going to pop up. So we really, really unexpected events are expected. And unless you want to have a really stressful situation on your hands, it's good to have a savings account so you have quick access to that cash so that when something does happen unexpected, you have access to that money to take care of it. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and, and it's worked for me over the years because if I don't see it, I don't spend it. <laughs> oh my, absolutely. Yes. I'm and then it's like the mind, things right? that I I'm like, oh, maybe I don't really need that thing. And, you know, um, yeah, I can talk myself out of a lot, but we also have a 1968 house that we've fully remodeled. So I can, I can, um, really, you know, attest to the unexpected expected. <laughs> I've done the furnace, haven't done the water heater yet, but literally everything else down to the copper piping. <laughs> oh, yes. So, um, you know, this is a funny thing. And I'm sure you've not heard this on a podcast yet, but I just thought it would be a fun topic. Uh, a lot of these television shows on Netflix and a lot of movies, they demonstrate like an Armageddon situation where, you know, the world basically is ended and money is null and void and people have to barter and they have to use their skills and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's doomsday preppers and all these things. What do you think about this idea that someday perhaps our financial system collapses? Well, it is a loaded <laughs> question right there. You know, if there's additional water or additional food items in your home or silver, silver is I think 17 or $18 an ounce, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And, you know, you can turn the silver if need be, uh, but you know, to, to, if you find that having some of those items as a prepper in your home in the event that maybe, you know, the grid goes off, the electric is, is gone or, or what have you, it's okay. But I do think that sometimes people can really uh, go overboard with that. Uh, right now, our economy seems to be doing fairly well. And prayerfully, that will stay the course. Uh, but certainly, to have some items, uh, preparation, there's nothing wrong with that. But be watchful that you're not so consumed and so fearful that you're just, you know, constantly in that fear mode. Uh, many times, whatever it is, however we are, is what we're going to attract I don't know if you've ever like minds attract each other. So if you're in fear, then other people are going to be in fear. And then you're just going to feed off people in that fear. So certainly okay to have some prep things uh, in your home. But just, uh, and certainly there's nothing wrong with having other means uh, to barter with. 
um, whether it be what, you know, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but just don't go overboard with it. Do you think it's important that people keep cash on their, on, in their, like on their person, like at their home, not have everything in the banks? I certainly think that's a great idea. You can have a small, you can purchase a small safe for your home in a, in a hiding place. You could put it somewhere where not everybody knows where it is. Maybe just you and your mate or you and just one other person, certainly having cash because let's just say for instance, you know, something drastic happens and the banks, nobody's getting in the banks. Well, to be able to buy things, you're so certainly having some cash on hand in a safe in your home so that you're able to go spend some money uh, to go to the grocery store or whatever it is that you need. But certainly having some cash on hand in your home is certainly a good idea. Yes. And we have that where I am here in California. We actually had that exact scenario where the power grid was shut down for a long time and therefore the, the banks were not accessible. How do you feel about tipping? Um, this is a big thing. This is a big topic that comes up often because, you know, I know there are people that are employed in the food service industry that rely on those wages because maybe the company they work for doesn't pay a good solid minimum wage or, you know, a good solid wage has their base wage. But um, tipping seems to have become expected and not for great service. And so that can add a lot to a bill when it's an automatic 18% or if you feel expected to tip 20%. And nowadays, all the electronic readers, when you scan your card, the screen pops up and says, how much tip would you like to leave? And a lot of times, they don't even give you the number or the opportunity to write it in. It just says, you know, one, two or three dollars or 15, 18 or 20%. How do you feel about that? That I don't like forced tipping. I certainly understand, um, you know, food service, uh, where, you know, weight people are, not being paid what's due them. I, I certainly, I appreciate good service and I like to tip really well for good service. Now, if the person maybe didn't do very well with serving us, I will still tip. I tip large uh, for good service. You know, and I'll even tip 20%, 25% if, if it's good service, because I want to show my appreciation to them. Uh, I really do. Uh, now, you know, sometimes I'll go and uh, to a restaurant and pick up takeout order. And pretty much what they did was they prepared the food. They put the food in the bag, right? So I don't necessarily tip that because that's takeout. Right. I'm not being waited on, right. right? They prepared the food, which I paid that I paid. They're not at a table. They're not waiting on me hand and foot. And I don't know if anybody listening to this, I don't necessarily tip for takeout when I went to the restaurant to pick it up. <laughs> now, if it's delivered to my home, I'll, I'll tip because that person had to drive and bring it to me and, they did it in a really record time. I'll tip that person. But if I'm going to the restaurant and I'm picking up my, my food, I'm not necessarily going to tip that. Well, uh, I've noticed this in the drive through coffee shops. If you pay with card, the screen pops up and says, would you like to tip $1, $2, or $3 for your service today? And I thought, I think about that. And I'm like, well, 
I ordered a coffee. They made me a coffee. I drove to them to pick up the coffee. <laughs> right. Like I should have to tip for. Right. Right. The, well, the, the thing of it is, and, right. Well, and you did it out of convenience to go through the drive-through. When you go into that coffee, they're they're not asking you for a tip, right? So it's because no, it's because it does. Of, it oh, it does. Yeah, it okay, does. it does. It says that on it. It says See, one. Now I won't do that. And then yeah, it's a two-step it, process to say no. So I just end right. up always selecting one dollar, and then I thought, oh my god, I just paid almost $7 for this drink, which seems ridiculous, you know? Right, right. Yeah, because you're, pay- you're already paying for the product. Somebody to prepare the product and hand it to me. You know, if I'm standing in a drive-thru, you know, if I go into the restaurant or coffee shop and I'm, and I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting down and they're waiting on me, that's a different story. They're coming right. over, they're taking my order, they're making it, and then they're bringing it to me. That's different. Yeah, that's different. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, of course, I'll tip them because vary, you know, from, from you know, they vary from therapist, massage therapist, it can be drastically different. So I will tip them according to your job, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, uh, and that'll I, vary. And I think, and I think what's interesting about that is if they're self-employed massage therapist versus working for a company, you know what I mean? I, yes. I mean, I wonder how that is, or hairstylists, you know, I mean, because right. if they're their own business, then do they need a tip because they're asking the wage they want, right? I don't know. That's a, that's a kind of interesting. I mean, as a, as a psychotherapist, I certainly don't accept, I couldn't, it, it's illegal to accept a tip. right and it's almost like there's some some kind of hidden message with in it depending on what uh what service they're providing so for you a psychotherapist it's almost like they're saying well make sure you you give me something good next time or something like that say something good to me right don't tell me something i don't want to hear so to speak it's kind of a subliminal message i would think right it's illegal for at least in right. California, it's illegal. But yeah, because it would be. That's exactly right. You did good this time right. with what you said or didn't say. Yeah, that's such right. a weird thought. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, there's just so much, so much on the topic of financial um, freedom, fi- you know, wealth and, and America, debt in America. I, I love our conversation today. How can people get in touch with you? How can they learn more about what you do? Certainly. Well, they can go to my website, which is karenford.org. And all of my books are on Amazon as well. That's fantastic. And I will put that in the show notes. I just really loved having you on today, sharing your insights to, you know, building wealth and financial freedom. Oh, thank you so much. I certainly appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. Take care. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.